Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment comes from the Bach Chorale BWV 324, Meine Seele erhebet den Herrn, as sung by the Young Bach Fellows of the Netherlands Bach Society. So sometimes the story behind what we pick for a moment of Bach is something very personal, something that we, Christian, you or I, have sung before or performed before or have a meaningful relationship to a certain piece of music. Sometimes it is that. But other times it's I click on a link from Netherlands Bach Society of something new that I have no idea what it is. And we listen to it and something pops out at me. And then we dig deeper and we figure out why that thing popped out at me and was so interesting. And that it's a lot more complicated than it just being one piece of music. We know that Bach frequently arranged music that already existed. But here is a kind of special example and something we haven't quite covered ever. And this is BWV 324, which is a standalone chorale. But if you listen to this recording, you can hear that the singers are singing these unmeasured tones, especially right at this moment here. The rhythm goes away for a bit. returns. So context is always important. What's happening here is they are singing, at least the soprano part is, a common psalm tone of the day. This beautiful melody sung in unison here in this middle section of this recording is not by Bach, but it is a traditional German melody to which the German Magnificat text was traditionally sung. So that is the part of the Bible where Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. She sings, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. This is that famous part of the Bible, Christian, where Mary tells Elizabeth, her cousin, both women are pregnant. Mary is telling Elizabeth about her child and that it is the Son of God. Elizabeth is extremely excited about this news. It's amazing news, and not only is she excited, but the baby in her womb leaps for joy. That baby would be born to be John the Baptist. This psalm tone would have been known to the Leipzig church 
where Bach worked for most of his life, Thomas Church, Thomas Kirke. And this text would have been sung at Vespers services, not just during the time of year that celebrates this biblical story, which actually happens to take place in July. The different verses of this German Magnificat were translated by Luther, and that's what we have here today. So what we hear these young Bach fellows sing is not just by Bach, but it is a harmonization by Bach of a tune that you're hearing in the soprano voice, which is a traditional psalm tone that the church would have absolutely known just as well as some of their well-known hymns. Yeah. And if this kind of seems obtuse to you, listener, just think like, just imagine like Amazing Grace or something. That's yeah. like an ultra common religious tune. And imagine that it's something that you heard almost every week. And what's happening here is that Bach did not write the melody, but gave it a very nice modern harmonization. Yeah. And when I talked about us uncovering, uh, the depths of what was actually happening here, finding out more context. That's what's fun about going into into detail about this stuff. But this, VWV324, is really a, a very short piece of music. And what you hear, the first two phrases that you hear this choir sing, that's it. That's all that's written down. And it wasn't even text on there. It was just the notes written down by Bach or even just compiled. But... We know that this text belongs with these notes because, as we said before, this is the tune for the German Magnificat. This is absolutely what Bach meant to do with the words here. He didn't have to write them. He was probably just not bothering to write them because it was so obvious what they were supposed to be. Yeah, but there's even another reason why we know that this is the correct text, right, Alex? Uh, what's that? Because of the cantata. Oh, right. So that's where, that's where I'm going with this is eventually yeah. is Christian and I, Christian, you, you mentioned when we listened to this, like, okay, so here's this part of this music that we can see on, on the score here when we look this up, but then this, in this recording, they keep singing and they sing on the psalm tone for a while in unison. Okay. That makes sense. That's just the old psalm tone. That's not Bach anymore. That's, but that is what would have happened probably. So it's, it's an informed and interesting performance decision. It's cool. But then they go back into some harmony, and it's a little tiny bit different than this BWV324 version. So this is probably from something else from Bach. And yes, it turns out that it's very similar to a piece of a cantata that he wrote, BWV10, of the same name. This cantata is all about this Magnificat text, and it sets different verses of it and it uses this melody all over the place. It is like if you, you know, if you like this, see this, right? If you like this short chorale, see that cantata. And we will link it in the description also, but really that's where the meat of everything is. That feels like a big 20 minute long full cantata, right? Real Bach experience, you know? This feels like a, a quick little appetizer compared to that. But what really got me about this chorale and what really set us in 
motion, Christian, you and I, to f- figure out like where this all comes from, from the bigger cantata and other things, is that ending. Let's just hear that ending. That's the part that I loved. That surprising little ending figure, that surprising little ending cadence. And it does turn out that that is not from BWV 324, but from BWV 10. So it's just from something else from Bach. But I think this episode can kind of still be about both of these, both of these pieces, right? The standalone chorale, which is interesting in its own right. And then the cantata, which we can focus on the, the final movement and the final cadence of here because that's what i'm talking about this amazing amen so this is the final verse of meine seele erhebt den herrn this final verse which begins with the words lob und preis sei gott is the Gloria Patri text, which is like a doxology text, like an ending, um, glory be to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit types, type of thing that was sung at the end. And that's what we have here. We have these final words of this, which is ewigkeit zu ewigkeit, forever, ever. And then amen, which is amen, right? Which literally means like, that's true, right? Mm, yeah. Let it be so. Yeah. Something like that. So what's happening here to do the sort of the librarian digging here is that you stumbled upon BWV 324 and the the Bach uh, catalog numbers in this area are like miscellaneous chorales. Right. right. Like you, you called it Christian and orphan chorale. Did I? Yeah. They're not <laughs> yeah. part of... A larger cantata that we oh, know of. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is, it is like that. Although this one, the material from this did become the ending of the box harmonization of the ending of BWV 10 of that cantata, but it's not exactly the same. Like you, like you noticed, Alex, the, the notes, this is two phrases long of music. It's funny that something that could basically be stuck in as a bookmark has its own BWV number. Right. And then yet the, the fully fleshed out hundreds of pages worth of score and parts cantata for BWV 10 could be like half a concert right. worth of music. And that is kind of what this becomes because this is like the ultra, this is also the ultra practical version to perform a cantata like, uh, like cantata 10, you would need to hire all this professional forces but this thing you could put together really quickly for like one Sunday. And this this was probably used over and over again, like you said, Alex, for the Vesper services mm-hmm. and pretty simple choral parts. He, he knew how to write that stuff too, just yeah. as well. Yeah, and they would sing a simple setting by Schein, who was a German Baroque composer from before Bach's generation. So they knew this. They knew They already knew other harmonizations of this. They were very used to this. Yeah, and and this whole thing of 
of reciting the Psalms or the canticles or parts of the points of scripture was very common. And the whole thing about poetic music being used like in Bach's cantatas and passions, that's a little bit more specialized. The more day-to-day thing would be to just open up your, your songbook to like a psalm tone, which is basically a formula for you to sing passages from the Bible on notes just so that things can be sung instead of spoken. Right, and that's what you might think of, listener, when you think of chant. I mean, there is Gregorian chant, there is plain chant, but what you might be thinking of when you think of church chant is what is done with psalm tones in many different church traditions where you sing a song or you sing something like sing to the lord a new song all the earth or whatever right like you you just fit however many syllables of text you need to fit into this thing while kind of doing it in a speaking rhythm ending on a cadence like this or whatever right that's what i'm talking about and that's what this is and that doesn't have really rhythm not rhythm that you notate in a normal way and that's why when we were listening to this, that's what stuck out to me the most. And at first, that was going to be my moment that I was going to pick. And then I realized that's actually, even though I love that, that's actually not the most remarkable thing about this. It comes down to that amen, which, as we said, is part of BWV 10 also, the final movement. It comes down to what Bach does in that amen. And there are lots of stunning moments in BWV 10. But to focus on this ending... I think is is the right move here. So leading up to this ending, we're listening for the words Ewigkeit, forever, right? And then we're starting to hear the voices also sing a syllable ah, because they're coming into the word amen, but you just you hear it a you hear a long note, so you're just hearing ah for a while, and then they all land on amen at the end. listen for these like rising voices every voice except for the soprano voice is rising here on av kite rising rising and now they are moving around and kind of jostling for position in the middle voices and then they land almost resolved now finally resolved four episodes now we talked about this four episodes ago now in the episode about nun kommt der heiden highland the organ chorale prelude i had a similar moment it was a satisfying ending in which the cadence was extended a little bit longer than you think it should be and it's just all that much more satisfying when it gets there and christian you and i really latched onto this one chord near the end that is really great and we're listening just to the the sonority of this and i'm talking about the second to last chord here so right before we hit the the final chord yeah the continual player she's playing organ on this she's adding a little extra pitch there she's adding a leading tone she gives it an extra little flavor it's just, it's so nice. Yeah, it's, it's one 
more tone than what is written in the choral parts. But also just typical Bach making things more interesting than he had to. I mean, just listening to this to these parts rising, first we're listening to the bass rising here. We're starting a few measures from the end, and we're listening to these notes, and in the bass they just rise up in groups of five. They just rise up, up, up. And I like to point out also that those words which are avikite to avikite, forever and ever, eternity to eternity, the four parts of the choir, no part has that word with another part. Hmm. So the second time it is said, they start almost all on different beats even, but they have different lengths as well. The first time, only two of them start on this at the same time, but they have a different length of the word. Nobody's, in other words, all eight times that the word is sung, it's different, timing-wise, hmm. and overlapping. Each one overlaps. Yeah, in Bach's own way, painting that picture of eternity, these like never-ending re- repetitions, you know? Yeah, and these, these parts are independent, but since they rise over and over again, they sort of blur into each other. And there's something beautiful that goes all the way back to a point that you made in the first episode of the of the podcast, Alex, about the almost ocean wave-like nature of counterpoint, of Bach counterpoint, mm. which is that when when like four parts have such well-composed, smooth counterpoint like this, they are linear, but they can also be written to converge and diverge. Right. And they can they can there are audio illusions that you can play like this, the, the feeling of rising throughout, even though sometimes the parts are dropping down and parts overlapping each other. There's voice crossing going on a lot of times between between uh, parts, especially the oh, middle yeah. two. Yeah. Seeing especially that, the like tenor the and alto. Yeah. Parts, this voice crossing all the well, time. And he even, he even does that with the tenor and bass earlier in that. Yep. And which creates an interesting effect because the continuo is also playing the bass line. So it's cool. But... But to your point about the the ocean thing, I I forgot we talked about that in the first episode, but it's true and it's what what makes all this stuff that seems like it's so complicated with all its counterpoint, it's what makes it all actually just sound effortless and flowing when you actually listen to it. Because you can just let it wash over you, to continue the ocean metaphor, and it's just nice. It's not, you're not noticing all the overlapping complexity of the waves and everything you're just letting it hit you thing i love yeah the thing i love about bach and music of this time period is that it's it is complex but it is not about being complex because if it was if the intention was to show how complicated it was then most people wouldn't like it Mm -hmm. and many many people love Bach and do not claim to have any understanding of the musical workings inside it and that's fine because it has a profound effect on us subconsciously and it it has a innate flow to it that goes beyond any musical 
terminology that you that we need to unpack it just it just flows it does but if but if you want to try to understand why it flows there's no better way than studying each of these vocal lines separately as you watch the score and try to play along on a piano or something like that although that's tough when the pitches don't match the score that you have but studying the score is huge for this and then you can really see what Bach's doing with these layers and with the way he's putting these things together. It's like kind of getting inside the artist's mind a little bit here. One reason I love this BWV324 production with the Young Bach fellows is just the nicely personal touch of it. I mean, it's just a small little group of musicians here singing and singing in an ancient style. Christian, you mentioned this when we were talking about this right before we started recording. I think what's really charming about this is the ancient quality of it. Mm-hmm. It's those psalm tones. It's it's that old tune. It's in the Aeolian mode, which just doesn't quite sound like Baroque classical. Um, it's it's a it's an old mode. You know, it's an old church mode. So it's got a it's got a different generational flair to it. It does sound more ancient. It sounds a little bit like 17th century. German or general European church music sounds older and there's some just beautiful music from that that 100 150 years that came before Bach um, and often Bach was such a person of his of his time that his music is more modern for in, in his day especially as he got older mm. and started to incorporate more of the Italian style in his music so stuff like this is nice and refreshing because it just sounds classic. Classic, yeah. And now here is that ending of the chorale. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the chorale, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance by the Netherlands Bach Society and the Young Bach Fellows. Do you want to hear our new episodes as they are released? Find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Okay, Christian, who do we have joining us next week? Yes, we have a guest episode next week. We're really excited to bring on to the podcast as our first guest of this uh, second season, the composer Kian Ravai. He has a very intense personal journey with the music of J.S. Bach, and uh, it's something that he'll share with us in the episode. It's really something to look forward to, I think, Alex. Yeah, really looking forward to that. Until next time, enjoy those moments. (laughs) 